Wow. Those of you that was at 47 Dennis Ridge Road, those of you that were at 47 Dennis Ridge Road for a long time, look at this room. Just this past week, memories came up on my Facebook page that was showing me the video that we released from the prophecies that was spoke over us in 2017. We had, uh, we had 10 services in two weeks. If you remember, I had five different speakers come in, and all five of them dropped basically the same prophecy, that we had to move off of that mountain, that it was time for us to get up and leave, and none of them con conspired with one another. And we, we, we put that together in a video, and we released it, and... Look what the Lord has done. I moved here for 13 people. We have more people on the stage on a Sunday than was in the whole building. And I moved 351 miles. Pulled my own mobile home because they didn't have anywhere for us to live. God bless us faithful. Don't you ever let the devil talk you out of being faithful. Amen. I'm excited. Listen, I'm going to preach the last part of this sermon series, Relevant Faith. This is part eight. This is week eight. This is the last message. And it's kind of strange because this was the first message that I knew I was supposed to preach. But I also knew it was supposed to be at the end of the series. Next week I get to do something that is, is two of my favorite things. I get to begin a series through a book of the Bible. I like doing that because we're living in a biblically illiterate age and a lot of people don't know the Bible anymore. So I'm going to start a series, but not only am I going to do one of my favorite things, I'm going to start preaching through a, a book. It's my favorite book of the Bible. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm stoked. Next Sunday is Super Sunday. I'm super excited for Super Sunday. Listen, we're going to have baptism Sunday night. So if you're here and you haven't been baptized, uh, Get, get, some, get a change of clothes and bring a towel to church Sunday night because uh, it's your time. And if you have been baptized, you might want to put some clothes and some towels in your, in your uh, stuff. Pastor, I got baptized years ago. Trust me. Because I'm asking God for people to get re-baptized uh, on that Sunday night. Because the message I'm going to preach is going to challenge some of the things that you think you believe. And so uh, if you've been baptized already... It wouldn't hurt for you to just go ahead and pack a, a go bag when you come to the house of the Lord next Sunday night. Praise the Lord. Amen. So I'm going to preach this morning about fold your tent for the last time. Fold your tent for the last time. If you go back and read God's plan for his people, he put two people in a garden, Adam and Eve, and no longer than... Two people into this experiment, we messed it up. We broke the world. We broke God's plan. God comes along after the flood and after Noah, and he opens up uh, himself into a, something that we'd never heard of before called a covenant. And he began that covenant with a man named Abraham. He told Abraham that if Abraham would be faithful to him, see, I've tied all this together. He told Abraham that if he would be faithful to him, that he would give them a land for their people. He said, your people, and he spoke this to a man who had no children. 
He was barren. His wife's womb was barren. He said, if you will be faithful, I will give you and your descendants houses they didn't build, vineyards they didn't plant, and wells that they didn't dig. I'm going to provide for you an environment for prosperity for generation upon generation upon generation. And here, God was faithful and he kept his word. Somebody say amen. And all they had to do was walk into the promised land and possess it. All they had to do was take what God provided. He gives somebody named Moses the opportunity to lead his people out of Egyptian bondage and into the promise. Hmm. Can I tell you this morning that God is better at keeping his word than we are at being obedient? I'm going to say that again. God is better at keeping his promises than you and I are at being obedient. So when he offered them the promised land... He was bringing his promise to fruition. He was bringing his blessings to completion. All they had to do, they had one job. Trust him over fear. Trust him over doubt. That's all they had to do. And yet, they failed. And for 40 years... Look at your neighbor and say, that's a long time. For 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness. Wanderers, vagabonds, gypsies, if you will. Wandering around the same mountain, Mount Seir, for 40 years. Any husband in this room who's ever taken the wrong exit... And had to listen to your wife or, even worse, didn't take the correct exit. And had to listen to your wife. I told you that that was the exit to take. GPS has saved a lot of marriages. I'm just going to go ahead and say that GPS has done a lot of marital counseling and saved me from having to put your messes back together. I told you that was the exit for you to take. Any brother in here that's ever had to listen to that for two or three exits, can you imagine Listening to that for 40 years, I know we have passed this same cactus. That is the same rock. I changed that baby's diaper on that rock, and the baby is 27 years old now. We are lost. Why won't Moses just admit it? He's lost. <laughs> Walking around the same mountain for 40 years. Now, it is one thing to make a mistake. But when that mistake costs you your blessing, and then you have to walk around it and be reminded of what it cost you for 40 years, that's a lot to swallow. Moses dies, and Joshua is chosen by God to replace Moses. Take them across the Jordan River and into the Promised Land. And all of a sudden in Joshua chapter 3, and that's where I'm going to take my text from this morning. 
Joshua gives some officers direct orders and dispatches them to the 12 tribes of Israel because it's finally time to move. After 40 years, they're going to see some new scenery. After 40 years, they're not going to have to listen to the complaining again about how lost they are. They're about to come into their promise. Joshua chapter 3. I'm excited to preach this message. I told you this was the, this was the message that Relevant Faith, the entire eight-week ser- sermon series, was built off of. Early the next morning, verse 1, Joshua and all the Israelites left Acacia Grove and arrived at the banks of the Jordan River where they camped before crossing. Three days later, the Israelite officers went through the camp giving these instructions to the people. Pay attention. When you see the Levitical priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, when you see the priests carrying the Ark, look at your neighbor and say, watch that box. When you see the priests, when you lay eyes on them carrying that box, move out. When you see the box move, you move. When you see that box go forward, move out from your position and follow them. Since you have never traveled this way before, they will guide you. You've never been this way before. You're going to need some help getting from here to there because you don't know the way. All you know is how to walk around the same. You've been wandering aimlessly around the same mess for 40 years. You are very comfortable there, but you're about to come into some uncomfortable territory, and you're going to need to keep your eyes on the box. Now, now I'll get into that box here in a moment. Since you've never traveled this way before, they will guide you. Stay about a half mile behind them, keeping a clear distance between you and the ark. Make sure you don't come any closer. Then Joshua told the people, purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. So they were given instructions to focus on that box. What is that box? The ark of the covenant of the Lord. Well, for those of you that don't know, It represented the presence of God. That box had some items in it, but the items aren't important this morning. What you need to know is that box represented God on the move. When that box moved, God's presence symbolically was going ahead of them. When that box stopped, it was like God putting up a big stop sign saying, this is as far as you need to go. Don't get too far behind, Joshua said. And don't you ever pass it up. You always stay within eyesight of this box. You need it for your direction. Mm, I feel like preaching. Now, 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 Now see, if the ark stopped, they were supposed to stop. And now it sounds awesome to think about having that kind of direction from God. Don't we pray for that exact thing all the time? How many of you have ever said, I just wish God would tell me what to do? I mean, isn't that that exactly what we ask for? I mean, how easy could God have made it? 
keep your eyes on the box. When the box stops, stop. When the box moves, pack up and get going. So, so how many of you have ever said something along the lines of, I just wish I knew what God wanted from me? But even when we know, we still find a way to mess it up. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, I'm glad you asked. When he said go, they were supposed to go. And that sounds easy. But there's a couple things you need to know about this arrangement. And I'm going to show you about five things this morning about folding up your tent for the last time. The first thing I want to show you is that that means they were to go anywhere and everywhere God wanted them to go whenever he said to move. Hmm. You know why you didn't shout? Because you're reading that going, well, that's easy. Uh Uh-huh. But here's the problem. When they reached the Jordan River, it was flooded. Just this past week in this area, we had mild flooding. The Jordan was so flooded that it was overcoming the banks, and it was impossible for them to pass over. So I'm going to ask you a question before I move on to my next point. Why in the world would God lead you somewhere where it's impossible for you to get through? Exactly. Because God wants to take you places where you know it's not you that made a way. God's always trying to challenge you in the areas that you will be sure it wasn't you that made the way. He's leading you. But just because he's leading you does not mean it's going to be easy. Number two, it meant that everything they knew and everything they were comfortable with was never going to be the same. Say the magic word with me. Ready? Say change. Woo! Don't that word hurt? Like, like a dagger down in the chest hurt, right? Like a, like a, like a pit, like stomach flu hurt, don't it? Change. The only people like change is a messy, diapered baby. The rest of us fights it like it's something to be, uh, like it's deadly poison, right? See, for 40 years, they have been traveling the same route. I know I'm, I'm real calm because I need you to get this. This word is so deep and so important that I need it to sink way down in your soul because I'm talking to every person in this room. Some sermons, I only talk to part of you part of the time and, and another part. Of the, but I know that every word I preach this morning is settling into every soul in this room because for 40 years, they had the same routine. And you get into a routine and get comfortable. They have been passing the same landmarks, the same rocks, the same cactuses, walking the same trails. They had gotten used to eating their meals out of the sand. They had gotten used to sleeping under the stars. And hear me, because this is going to be important for the rest of this sermon. They got used to folding up their tent every day to move a little farther down the road, even though they weren't going anywhere. They packed up like they were traveling. But at the end of the day, they were no farther toward their blessing. 
They were doing a lot of packing. They were doing a lot of motions. They were going through all of the experience of moving forward, but they weren't going anywhere. Because a year later, they would be in the same place that they were that day. And it wasn't getting any closer to their breakthrough, any closer to their blessing, or any closer to the promise. You can walk the wilderness sand underneath your feet for 40 years and never get into your promise. You can pack up your tent, take it with you just to unpack it every day and not be any closer to your breakthrough. Some of us have been going to church since we were this tall. My grandma used to say it was knee high to a grasshopper. And some of us have been going to church since we were a little kid in Sunday school. We've been praying for our children since they were this big and now they're this big. We've been praying for our marriage. We've been praying for breakthrough. We've been praying for a more powerful prayer life. We've been praying for God to give us uh, uh, wisdom. We've been praying for all of these things, and none of it is coming to pass. And it's not because you don't do the right things. Because you're packing up and you're moving. The problem is you're not moving forward. You're just going in circles. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? The reason so many of us don't ever move forward is because we like the comfort Uh, Joshua made it very clear he said you're about to do something you've never done before you've never passed this way before and immediately when the pastor gets in the pulpit and says we're about to do something we've never done before some of you go we're about to start a ministry we've never started we're about to take up an offering we've never we're about to start another service Every time you get ready to do something that's never been done before, we get out of our comfort zone, and it makes us extremely uncomfortable. This would be the last time that they folded their tent in the wilderness. Now, here's the problem with going new places. When you go new places, you see new things. You take new territory and you face new struggles. And isn't that the reason you don't want to go? Because you'd rather dance with the devil that you've been dancing with for 40 years. Because at least you know that devil. You know when he comes forward to two faces that you dodge this way. You give him an uppercut. He leaves you alone for a week or two. And then yet next week you'll come back to promise of victory. And you'll do the whole dance over again. I have fought this addiction devil. Y'all not going to help me. I have fought this lust devil. I have fought this addiction devil. I have fought this devil. And I fought it all these years. You have fought the same devil for so long, you've gotten comfortable with the devil. And we were never taught to fight the devil. We were taught to resist the devil, and he should flee from us, which means it's not supposed to be something that you repetitively go through. Forty years Walking around Mount Seir. And Joshua said, it's over. It's time to move on. For the first time in 40 years, why is change so uncomfortable? Why is change so uncomfortable? I'm glad you asked. Because for the first time in 40 years, they were going to have to trust God again. Oh, not, I'm the only one? Listen, listen. You think they were trusting God out in the wilderness? When they were in the wilderness, God every morning rained manna. And the only thing they had to do was flap open their tent flap. 
come outside, gather it up, and eat it. They'd learned how to make manna stew, manna casserole, leftover manna didn't exist, so they had to eat it all. They had water that came out of rocks. They had a pillar of fire by night that provided heat. They had a pillar of cloud by day that kept the sun off of them. They didn't have to trust God. God was a constant. See, you can be as lost as a goose in a hailstorm, but God be so constant in your life that you will get used to walking in the wilderness just so you don't have to change nothing. But when they got into, Joshua said, sanctify yourselves, get ready, because you've never done this before. You are about to take new territory, which means you, for the first time in 40 years, are going to have to depend on God again. (sighs) They didn't know if manna was going to follow them. It didn't. They didn't know if they were going to get water out of a rock again. They wouldn't. They didn't know if giants were going to be waiting on them. They were. They were going to have to learn to trust God again. Can I tell you that there are seasons of your life where you would just coast along? Where where God is providing every day. You're going to work. You're making money. You're not getting too far ahead, but you're just coasting. You feel blessed and tired at the same. Is that just me? Like, like, Like somebody says, how you doing? You're like, I'm blessed. And I'm wore out. And you're not lying. Because <laughs> you, you are blessed, but at the same time, you're tired. Why are you tired? Because you're in the wilderness and you've been going around the same mess for <laughs> been going around the same mess for 40 years, and nobody can figure out why I have this dual uh, personality, it seems like. Like, like uh, I, I, I'm holding on, barely holding on, and at the same time, I feel like I should be able to rebuke the devil. The reason is you're just coasting. You've been going on God's good grace for a long time. And you get up every day and you go through the same routine. But you know what you haven't done? You haven't taken any new territory. You haven't stretched your faith. You just keep folding your tent up and unfolding it. And folding it up and unfolding it. You don't think about the struggle because the struggle has become normal. Can I tell you that if you would be able to interview any of the children of God and say, how are you enjoying your wilderness experience? They would say, I'm sick of eating manna. I'd love a Baconator. I'm sick of having sand in my shoes. Anybody feel me? Listen, I, I, I don't do the beach thing. But when I do, sand gets everywhere. Like, how do you even get sand in some of the places? Like, I, I will walk into a room I've not even been into and sand is already there. I didn't even go in that part of the car and there's sand. How did it find me? If you would have interviewed any of the children of Israel, they'd have said, I'm sick to death of eating manna. I'm sick of having sand. I'm sick of folding up this tent. However, saying you're sick of something doesn't mean you're willing to do what it takes to change the situation. Some of you will get up every day and say, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of my marriage. I'm sick of this job. 
I'm sick of feeling this way. I'm sick of these thoughts in my head. I'm sick of this addiction. I'm sick of eating this way. I'm sick of doing this. I'm sick of not doing this. But have you ever got sick enough about it to change your course? Or are you just going to keep packing up and unpacking that tent and stay in the wilderness? Because saying you're sick of something, posting it on Facebook, tweeting it out, won't change a thing. It's amazing what folks will get used to. It is amazing what folks will get comfortable in. Joshua let them know, you've never crossed this way before. Because following God at this next level is going to upset your apple cart. It is going to disrupt everything that you say is normal and everything that you think is safe. Uh, If you're going to follow God into the next place that he's trying to take you to, it's going to mean that you're going to have to get uncomfortable. Uh, It's quiet in this mortuary. Let me give you about five steps to get out of the wilderness. You ready? Number one, you have to be willing to listen. Uh, Of course I'm willing to listen. I want to know what everything God has to say for me. Okay. But can I tell you that His Word has to be something more than what you read off this wall? Can, can, Can I help somebody in this place? You are not going to be able to sit and read what the pastor says on the wall and get what God wants from you in your life. The Word of God has to become more than an inspirational quote for you to tweet. It has to be a guidebook that you live by. And listen, I'm just going to go ahead and dump it out there because it's 2022 and we got too much foolishness going on in the body of Christ. Listen to me. This book, if it says don't do it, you have to accept it's not time for me to do it. If, if this book says I should be doing it, you got to put your tent together for the last time and say it's just about time for me to correct my course. Because we've got way too many people that are listening to voices, but only one voice is supposed to count. Number two, you need to trust that he cares for you more than you do. Can I tell you he never makes you a promise that he won't keep? That means that you got to be able to trust that he knows what's best for you, even when it's not what you wanted. Uh, uh, see, see it, but God, don't you understand? But God, didn't you hear me when I... You have to trust that God loves you enough to give you what's best for you. Even when it's not what you desired. Number three, you got to be willing to run, walk, crawl, and sit at the same time. In other words, this is going to depend on that ark. When that box moves, you got to move. And sometimes moving is at a crawl, sometimes you're going to beg God. To speed up. I want to get there faster. I, need, I should have been married by this age. Y'all not going to help me. I should be out of debt by now. I should have been retired by now. I should have been. And you're going you're gonna to beg God to hurry up. Hurry up. You're going to be trying to push the presence of God. But if you're going to listen and follow him, sometimes you're going to feel like he's taking too long. 
And then there's going to be times you're going to have to run to keep up with that box. And you're going to be saying, God, would you please slow down? This is all happening way too fast. So when we get to the point where he is directing our path, you've got to be willing to move. And sometimes you move quickly. Sometimes you move slowly. And sometimes it's somewhere in between. Number four, you got to be willing to walk through the uncomfortable, the unfamiliar, the unknown, and the unseen. They were given one instruction. Watch that box and follow it wherever it goes. Following God is a lot of things. Safe ain't one of them. Ooh, I didn't get one amen. Well, what do you mean? God's going to take care of me. He's going to take care of you, but he is also going to make you feel like you're falling off of a cliff sometimes. Do you think I want to do this? Listen to me. Every Sunday, I have a nervous breakdown before I get up here. I'm an introvert. I know. Go ahead. Laugh at me. It's because you don't know me. I don't, I don't feel comfortable around people. In 10th grade, when I had to stand up and give a book report, I nearly passed out. My knees locked. I sweated through all of my clothes. I almost fell out, not in the spirit. I'm not a public speaker. I feel inadequate. I go home every Sunday and beat myself up and say, I goofed it up. I felt God gave me a good word and I messed up. I do it every Sunday because I feel completely inadequate to do this. And then the crowds just keep getting bigger because that's God. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, listen, you have to be willing to walk through things. They get to the Jordan River and they can't even see the other side. And there's no way that they're going to be able to cross over in their own strength. Following God is not safe. Following God makes you have to outrun chariots. Following God puts you in the middle of a famine. Following God puts you in the land of Goshen where you have light and all of Egypt is in the dark. But God refuses to keep you away from the flood. Instead, God brings you right to the edge of the flood, and then he holds the water back, and all you have to do is be willing to follow that box. Uh, you have to know that if he is the one that brought you to it, he is going to bring you through it. The thing about floods is, if you sit long enough, the flood waters will go down. And that's what a lot of us have done. We follow God until the flood came, until it became uncomfortable, until we couldn't see the other side. And then we sat down and we said, if I wait it out, it'll get easier. And some of you have been waiting and blaming God that he hasn't fixed that relationship. He hasn't fixed your problem. He hasn't, he hasn't healed your body. He hasn't straightened out your mind. But you've been sitting waiting for the floodwaters to go. And God didn't tell you to sit and wait. He told you to follow that box. He told you to go even when it was uncomfortable. Even when you couldn't see. Even when it was unfamiliar. And you didn't know what you was getting into. He said keep your eyes on the box and go wherever the box goes. Some of you have been sitting on the riverbank waiting on the dry season and wondering why you dried out. You can't focus on the flood because the problems ahead of you will preoccupy you and cause you to stop watching where the box went. 
Some of you have been in church for a long time and you're wondering, where's my miracle? Where's my breakthrough? Where's my passion? Where's my excitement for serving the Lord? Where's the box? Listen, I'll stop, I'll stop preaching right now. That's a, I mean, that's a great place to plant a flag. Where's the box? Can you see it from where you are? Or did it go ahead of you and you sat down? I've preached revivals in churches where the whole congregation sat on the riverbank and got dried up. And the box was long gone. And they wonder, why nobody ever comes to church? Why has nobody been saved? Why haven't we had a move of God? It's because you got to an unfamiliar place. You got to a place where you was going to have to change something. And you were going to have to get with the times. And you were going to have to massage some things and do some things differently. And all of a sudden you said, nope, this is the way Moses did it. And I refuse to do anything different because Moses is my man. Rah, rah, rah. One, two, three, cheer for Moses. But Moses is dead, and we're going to have to do a new thing. And we're going to have to go away. We've never gone before, and I refuse. And you wonder where the box is. So I just need to ask you, have you given up on your marriage? Where's the box? Do do you think God can fix it? Pastor, I have been in such a bad way for so long, I don't even know if God can fix this anymore. Well, where's the box? Where did the box go? You sat down and dried up, and now you're wondering, why don't I feel any? you got to be willing. Look at your neighbor and say, be willing. Tents are temporary. They're transient. They are not conducive for permanent residence. Nobody would choose a tent as their first choice. The only reason that you stay here is because you're there for a short time. You, and the only reason that you choose this instead of houses you didn't build was because you have become way too comfortable in a place that was only supposed to be temporary. Boy, it's quiet in here. This is going to be one of them Sundays I'm going to go home and say, boy, you blew it. Mitchum, you did it again. So I don't know what you got in that tent. I, I don't know what you've got in that tent, but I can tell you this. It's time to fold it up. It, it's, it's time to... I, I, I know I can go through the Bible and I can find some tents. And maybe some of these tents that I give you out of the Bible is a tent that you need to fold up. How about if this was Lot's tent? Let's talk about it because it wasn't what Lot had in it that was the problem. Genesis chapter 13 and verse 12 tells us Lot's problem wasn't what he had in the tent. It was the direction he pointed his tent. Abram settled in the land of Canaan and Lot moved his tents to a place near. He pointed his tent toward Sodom. Which means every morning when Lot came out and flung his tent flat back, the first thing he saw every morning and the last thing he looked at every night was Sodom and Gomorrah. 
Sometimes you don't even have to bring the mess in your tent for the mess to end up in your tent. Because if you point it in the wrong direction and you look at the wrong thing long enough, you will invite stuff. As strong as you think you are, whatever you point your tent at, if it's the first thing you look at every morning, there is stuff that the devil can't talk you into. But... If you look at it every day, you will normalize what you used to rebuke. How about Achan? Achan had a tent. When you read your Bible, you'll find out that Achan was with the first cavalry brigade of the Israeli army. And boy, they had watched the walls of Jericho come down. And they were celebrating. And they were supposed to have a grand uh, parade. And here's what God said. There's one rule. Everything in there is mine. Don't bring anything out of Jericho. It was an Old Testament foreshadowing of the law of tithing. The first 10%. God said, don't touch Jericho. I'll give you everything else. But you make Jericho mine. And Achan saw some clothes and some gold and some silver that he said, surely God don't need this. God don't wear a size 18. I mean, he's high and lifted up. His train fills the temple. He's got all kinds of clothes. He don't need this. And he put it in the tent. And it was clothes when he put it in the tent. And he took gold and he took silver. And it was gold and silver when he put it in the tent. But once it got inside, the Bible says it changed into something else. When he put it in the tent, it was clothing. When he put it in the tent, it was gold. When he put it in the tent, it was silver. But once it got inside, it became an accursed thing. And some of you have brought things into your tents... And it was love when you brought it in. Or it was lust. It was a helping hand when you brought it in. It was good intentions when you brought it in. It was a secondary job when you brought it in. But once you got it inside the tent, it changed into something else. And it changed into an accursed thing. I know this is hard preaching on a Sunday morning. Here's what Achan's problem was. Did God need that size 18 robe, did God need the gold or the silver? God says, all the gold and silver are mine. Here's God's problem with Achan. When Achan took what God told him not to take, he was telling God, what you gave me ain't good enough. And in this generation, this word needs preached. Because that's what's happening in the world today. We're looking and we want to switch what, what I call myself and, and, and what, what bathroom I use and who I can be in love with. and who I, Because what God gave me ain't good enough. So I, I'm going to take some stuff that <laughs> society says I can do this. And I'm just going to put it in my tent. But the problem is this. You might have it out here and call it love. But by the time you get it in here, the Bible says and heaven says it's an accursed thing. And so now in the tent of Achan, we have a problem. Because the stuff in the tents tells you that Achan's heart 
was more in Jericho than it was in his promise. He traded the promise that God made him for the spoils of the world. I got to move on. Y'all mad at me. Job chapter 11 verse 14 says this. If iniquity is in your hand, put it far away. If you got sin in your hands, toss it. Set it on fire. Get it out of your tent. Nothing you're going to put in here is worth the trouble it's going to cause you. Turn that channel. Delete those links. Take them and get their phone number out of your phone. Because whatever you put in here, it's not worth the trade, friend. It's an accursed thing. It'll bring a curse on the whole tent if you don't get it out. If iniquity's in your hand, throw it away. Get rid of it. Be like Joseph. If they steal your coat, get out of there. Why? Because it will not let injustice dwell in your tent. You've got to get that thing out before it brings a curse. And last but not least, what if this was Abraham's tent? And I'm just going to spend the rest of my time that I have with you talking about Abraham's tent. Because in Abraham's tent, this was where him and Sarah came up with a plan for him to have a baby with her best friend. It was a handmaid. But we're just going to modernize the story a little bit. Because I've been married for a minute. I can promise you one thing about Amanda Mitchell. That tent is off limits. Because <laughs> if it's that tent where her, she sends her husband to have a baby with another chick. Let's not catch him a rolling up in that wrong tent. If it was Abraham's tent, this tent's where we move into having the wrong idea about God and his promises. Let me help you. This is where we get to the point where we think God needs our help to finish what he started. If God is taking longer than we wanted, well, I'll just help God along. Hagar, you and him go in there and make a baby. Can you imagine? Never mind. I don't want to put that image in your head. Here I am preaching about Achan's tent, and then I'm giving you that kind of image. Here he is going into a tent to have a child with another woman because God was taking too long. I'm tired of waiting on God. He didn't do what I wanted him to do. When I wanted him to do it. Let me help you. Jesus comes to Bethany. Lazarus. His friend. Is sick. His two sisters Mary and Martha. Had sent word to Jesus. They texted Jesus. 
they got in his DMs. They got on Facebook. Jesus, where are you? At Jesus. At the real Jesus. Where are you? Lazarus is about to die. We need you. Jesus rolls into Bethany. Three days late. Lazarus is in the tomb. Martha meets him and says the same thing that Abraham said. The same thing Sarah said in that tent. Hey God, where you been? And she says, had you been here? Not today. No, no, no. God showed up today, but today ain't good enough. Not today. Had you been here four days ago, you could have healed my brother. Why did she say that? Because she believed he was a healer. She believed that he was able to drive out sickness. But maybe the lesson that Martha needed to learn, the lesson Abraham and Sarah needed to learn, is that maybe there's more to this God than we thought there was. Maybe, just maybe, that you can believe God that He's a promise keeper, but He only has a certain window to keep the promise. And if it doesn't show up when you think it should, and He doesn't heal when He's supposed to heal, and He doesn't make a way when, he, when you want Him to, that it must be over and He must need my help. But maybe, just maybe, that God's trying to show you that there's another side to this thing that you have not yet experienced. Because Martha believed He was a healer, but he, she did not believe that He could raise the dead. And he said, you watch what's about to happen. Understand something. When he's trying to move you from season to season, when he's trying to get you out of that 40-year cycle, you have already believed him to be a healer. Why does he want to show you what you already believe? Why does he want to confirm what you already know about him? He wants to take you somewhere. Joshua said, we've never been this way before it is uncomfortable going somewhere you've never been before you have to unlearn what you think you know we're going to fold a tent up for the last time anybody honest in here this morning and say pastor it's not that I don't love church it's not that I don't love Jesus but I still have some problems. Anybody? I, I'm glad. I, I was about to say, welcome, Jesus. I just can't get past my problem. I've been fighting this for a long, long time. I've been walking around the same mountain for a, a long... Let, let me suggest something to you, and then I'll, I'll close. The message I preach on Sunday can change your life. But only... If it's the same message that you preach to you Monday through Saturday. Because you can take this word that I provide to you on Sunday and shout about it. But if you're preaching another message up here, the rest of the, you are canceling out the word that God has provided for you. I just can't get past my problem. Could it be? Could it be? Don't shoot the messenger. Could it be that the problem's not the problem? Could it be, I've brought this sermon series full circle because I'm about to remind you of a scripture that I used in week one. 
Could it be that the problem is not the problem? The problem is the pattern. The pattern is why you take one step forward and two steps back. There's a lot of things that we don't struggle with, but the things that we do struggle with, we just can't seem to get over them. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Could it be that you are preaching at the wrong thing? I've told you in this series already that Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 says this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Why? Because the pattern of this world is broken. The pattern of this world doesn't work. Not for you it doesn't because you're not of this world. You're of the kingdom mindset. And the way that the kingdom operates isn't the way the world operates. So you, the pattern of this world is broken. The pattern, the way the world says handle this thing is walking around the same mountain and never going anywhere. For some people, they're like, Pastor, I just don't like the way I look. And when I look in the mirror, I just want to cry and I feel embarrassed. Some of you are sitting out there saying, for me, my pattern is I just don't ever finish anything that I start. I, I, I start a lot of things, but I don't ever complete them. Some of you watching uh, online or, or under the sound of my voice, if you would be real honest, you'd be like, you know what, Pastor, my marriage isn't great. Now, we're not getting divorced. We're not like on the brink of divorce, but I really can't say that we're happy with each We've been walking around the same mountain for a long time holding hands, but I can't really say that we're happy with each other. For some of you, the pattern is constantly being caught up in drama, family drama. You're the one everybody calls to fix the family mess. Work drama. Your desk is where everybody brings their anxiety all week and dumps it, and you just can't seem to get out of the drama. Some of you, your patterns are financial decisions. It doesn't matter how much money you make, you will find a way to blow it. For some of you, you just can't find a healthy flow in relationships. You've had 72 best friends since Christmas. Some of you, some of you will say, my problem, my problem is my kids. Because my kids are misbehaving. And that's when they're little. And then when they grow up, you say, my kids are my problem. Because if they were just happy, I would be happy. What if I told you that the reason nothing's changing is because you're blaming the problem? Because blaming the problem is easier than dealing with the pattern. Whew, I wish I had 42 hours to preach this. Can I come after your excuses today? Because you want to blame the fruit for not showing up instead of dealing with the tree. Instead of dealing with where you planted it and what you're feeding it. And you want to fuss about fruit not being there, but you don't want to deal with the fact that you're feeding the tree all the wrong stuff. Y'all not going to help me. You want to blame people for not getting opportunities. You want to blame your body chemistry for your health. You want to blame your rough upbringing for the poor choices that you make. And I'm just suggesting that maybe, just maybe, we're blaming the wrong thing. Instead of blaming him or her or this or that or what they said or what they didn't do, maybe the diagnosis is this. What if the real problem is that when life presents us with a problem, our pattern to deal with it is wrong? What if the way you're responding is allowing the problem to continue? You look in the mirror and you say, I don't like my body. Can I tell you that what you see in the mirror is not your problem?
You're not going to help me. I've done made them mad at me. That's not your problem. You know what your problem is? You didn't fix anything ahead of time. You got off work late. You drove through McDonald's drive-thru on your way home. Got two Big Macs and a milkshake to wash it down and convinced yourself that the shredded lettuce is your salad. It's 10.30 at night. You're about to roll over and go to bed with 27,000 calories you just consumed and 562 carbohydrates. And you look in the mirror and say, I'm disgusted. Maybe the problem is not what you see. The problem is that you're not dealing with the pattern that is causing the dysfunction. Can I tell you, it is, a whole, it is a whole lot easier to deal with, to identify problems than it is to deal with patterns. Oh, it's easy to pick out problems. I can even pick yours out. It's easy to identify. You can pick out my problems. We're good at picking out other folks' problems. Husbands and wives, we do it all the time. I can tell you every, woman, every problem this woman has. Do you have a few minutes? We'll, we'll check. No, I better not. And here's one of our favorite patterns. And I don't have time to go through the whole outline. One of our favorite patterns is called the blame game. It's not my fault. Adam, where are you? I'm hiding because I don't, I don't have any clothes on, God. Who told you you don't have any clothes on? Well, that woman you gave me. He goes over to the woman. He says, what did you do? She said, wasn't my fault. That snake lied to me, deceived me, made me a cobbler. And God, I can't resist a cobbler. And I ate it, and then I went and gave him some. Not, don't blame me. It's constantly, let me give you this. Blame is a defense mechanism. We blame someone else for our problems to preserve our own self-esteem. Hey, my anger's not my problem. That's just the way us bitchums talk to each other. You're deflecting the blame onto somebody else. Another reason we, we play the blame game is to justify our anger. Because it's easier to get blame, it's, it's easier to play the blame game than it is to forgive somebody. Oh, I gotta go through this. We use blame to avoid chastisement. Maybe you grew up in the same kind of house I grew up in, where everything you did wrong was the end of the world. And you would get beat over nothing. And you would, have, you would have bruises, and, and, and maybe you didn't. Maybe, maybe you grew up in the kind of the house where they made fun of you every time you made a mistake. So now you play the blame game to avoid the chastisement that you feel. You have this shame inside of you that was bred into you as a child because every time you make a mistake, you feel guilty over it. How about this? We use blaming others as a way not to have to unpack our own mess. Hey, Albert, what you got in that tent? Ain't none of your business. I wanted you to know what was in my tent. I'd invite you in my tent. And by the way, I wouldn't even have it in here if it wasn't for the way you treat me. Don't look in this. You stay in there. Because the only reason I got that in there is because she don't do what I need her 
The only reason I've got all that mess in my tent is because of the way my dad. I wouldn't act this way if they did. What do you got in there? What do you have in there? Because I promise you this. Today is the day that you pack it up for the last time. I have been waiting 10 weeks. 10 weeks to get to the point where somebody comes to this altar and packs up their tent folds it up for the last time. Exodus chapter 14. Remember this a few weeks ago? I told you I'm bringing this whole thing full circle. Exodus chapter 14. Verse 11. They said to Moses, it's because there's no graves in Egypt you brought us out to the wilderness to die. What have you done to bring us, or what have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? They think their problem is the Red Sea. They think their problem is the water. But their problem is their pattern. Every time things get tough, they want to quit. That's a pattern problem, not a water issue. They said, why did you bring us out of Egypt? Uh, because you asked God to bring you out. But now they're fighting their help. The one who came to help them. So parents, parents. Calm down. It'll be okay. Eventually, they're going to thank you for help if you don't kill them first. But they're eventually, those kids that are fighting your help today are eventually going to appreciate the help that you provide to them. Okay? And the ver- and the, keep reading, and the verse says this. Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Verse 12. Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. Here's the problem. That's not in the Bible. They didn't say that. They never told Moses. All they could do was complain they wanted out. And then when they got out, their pattern kicked in. And they wanted to go back into the mess they were struggling to get out of. Because all they wanted to do before was get out. This is what happens when you get out before your mind comes out. And you come out in body, but your mind stays a slave. So maybe, maybe, maybe your problem's not your problem. Pastor, I've dated six rotten men since Christmas. The devil is a lie. So, so maybe, maybe the individuals you've been, maybe they ain't the problem. Maybe your pattern's the problem. Maybe after the last heartbreak, you should take some time off. Spend some time with the Lord. Instead of jumping right back into, you know, what you just jumped out of. If you've been with six devils, you ain't real good at this. I mean, they make you wait three days, cooling off period, to buy a firearm. Maybe, just maybe... Before you get into another relationship, you should have a cooling off period. Maybe not jump right back into having your kids call him daddy just just yet. Pump the brakes a little bit because your pattern is causing your issues. Is anybody getting anything out of this? Well, God did not show up and heal me. I needed a healing. I asked him for a healing. 
You see this crowd? It's inevitable. Somebody that's sitting in here won't be here a month, two months, three months down the road. And you're going to wonder, I wonder what pastor did to run them off. She just up and quit church. He just quit coming. I wonder what pastor did to make them mad. And the fact is, it's their pattern. Because they showed up with a problem, and when God didn't fix their problem in a time period that they had in mind, their pattern says, well, I tried God. I guess now I'll try the bar. I guess now I'll try staying home. I tried church. That didn't work. But can I tell you this? The Bible does not say, some of you think that there's a couple scriptures in the Bible or a couple things in the Bible. One people think is a, is a scripture called Genie 1-1 that says, your wish is my command. Who did not say that? God. Some of you think that there's a book in the Bible called the book of should have beens And this is the book where you get all the things that you ask God for and you get them right now. If you're looking for it, some of y'all started going, where's that at? I want to read that book. That's where I want to start my Bible study. So we walk away from God because he don't fix our problems. But he never told us that he was going to do it that way. What he told us was this. I will bring you out. I will provide. I will give you victory over your enemies. And I will even part the water. But you have to take the first step. He said, I will provide a deliverer. I will send the plagues. I will overcome your enemy. I will drown them in the Red Sea. But you are the one that's going to have to pack up your tent for the last time and say, you know what? Tents was never a place where I was supposed to live. It was temporary while I was going through this season of my life. But I am packing that thing up for the last time. You know why? Because I haven't ever been this way before and I'm not going back this way ever again. Somebody in this room needs to pack it up for the last time. If it's insecurity, pack it up. If it's an addiction, pack it up. If you have been feeling like you can't be loved by God, it's time to pack it up. If you've been going down the wrong way for a long time, it's time to pack it up. You're going to be changed by the time you leave this room today. Pack it up. Pastor, I just don't know how much longer I can take. Pack it up. I'm not going to drag this out. Somebody already should have been to this altar. You know good and well it's you. My marriage, I, I can't say I've been ready to get divorced, but we don't really like each other. Pack it up. Pack it up. You've never been this way before. God's about to challenge you and take you in new directions, but I promise you this, you're never coming back here again. I don't need this tent. I don't need this tent tent was temporary I'm moving into a permanent place God's about to give you permanent victory God's about to give you permanent breakthrough God's about to give you a permanent miracle you're not ever going to go back to where you've been some of you have self-loathing you get on social media and you see everybody else's life and you hate your life pack it up pack it up pack it up this is your moment get up to this altar Stop comparing yourself with other people. Stop giving everybody else power to make you feel sad. 
Pack it up. Pack it up. My Pack it up. Pack it up. You've never been this way before, but you're also never coming back this way again. Pack it up for the last time. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> Devil, you lost this morning. Devil, you lost this morning. Look at God's people. Taking it back, devil. Taking it back.